Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked. Hi there, my name is Robert Stevenson. I'm the principal of Sawgrass Adventist School, and I am privileged to be uh, going through uh, the book of 2 Chronicles 5 through 31 with Pastor Jennifer Hernandez. And uh, I just want to welcome you. This is episode 20 as we start 20. working through the Bible. 2-0. We're moving through fast, guys. We are, we are actually 25% through the Bible for those of you who've been going with us. We've been having a good time. It's aired every Sunday night at 7.30 on YouTube or Plantation TV. So check it out there. Our goal is to read the entire Bible in 2021. And I will tell you, friends, if you haven't read the entire Bible, you've got to do it. You really don't understand what's going on until you've read the whole thing. So take some time. Join us. We take the sting out of it by doing it with you and giving you some <laughs> commentaries as we go through and you will learn so much so the reading plan is shared weekly during sabbath services and on social media please invite friends and family listen guys it's more fun if you do it with friends and family so please invite friends and family members and co-workers uh, to text their inquiries to us try to stump the chumps and here's the number 954-388-8780 Give us some hard ones, man. Make us sweat. It's got a lot of fun, okay? <laughs> and if we don't know, we'll just say we don't know. But 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 try 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 to try to make it challenging for us, okay? Um, and we will uh, and different pastors as well as myself and Pastor Jen, we will be addressing your questions and help us dig just a little deeper than what's in there because I tell you the Bible is full of great stuff, okay? So. Um, Last week's reading was 1 Chronicles 6 through 2 Chronicles 4. Okay, 1 Chronicles pretty much covers the reign of King Saul and then King David. Okay, so we started finishing off and then the transition between David and Solomon. Fascinating stuff, the highs and the lows of David's administration, both his... Um, his victories, but also his defeats and his personal struggles. David was very much a human person. God loved him. He was a man after God's own heart, which gives me a monicum of hope as, as I start looking at my life and trying to work through everything every single day. Um, and then when we get into the first part of Second Chronicles, this is the transition from Solomon's rule to the breakup of Israel into Samaria and, and Judea and how that all worked and, and into Jeroboam and Rehoboam, those two kings, the king of the north and king of the south, and how Israel was divided up. And then we will start talking today about the kings of Judah. Okay, so when we did kings, you saw more of the kings of Samaria, learned about Ahab and all those wicked guys. Now we're going to learn about the kings of Judah. There were a few more good ones, ton of bad ones. We're going to go through that today. Very, very interesting stuff. Interesting reading, by the way. If you like, if you like palace intrigue and who's good and who's bad and all that stuff, 
Interesting stuff, guys. So don't be afraid to read this stuff. This is the kind of stuff I would read as a child. If the pastor's sermon tend to be droning on and on, I would pick up First and Second Chronicles, and I would read about the evil king. <laughs> going on, guys. The Bible's interesting stuff. You're missing out. Okay, so so don't be afraid to read that. It also gives you hope because the Lord gives the children of Israel chance after chance after chance to come back to Him. When they come back to Him. Good things happen. When they leave him, bad things happen. So <laughs> like us, just like us in our life. You got you gotta love that guy. So 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 that was last week's reading and then kind of the stuff that we're covering, the stuff we're going to be seeing in the future. And so this week it is second chronicles five through second chronicles thirty-one. Okay, and we've sort of covered, we're going to go over a number of different kings and their administrations and what happens. That's pretty much what is happening in this section, and it's kind of interesting. This is the kind of thing you can read sort of one king at a time. So if you're somebody who wants to break it up so that it's easier to read, you can read one king at a time and just keep on moving through. So right now, Pastor Jen, are we ready to jump into the questions today? We are ready. However, before we do so, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another time that we can come and unveil your truths from the Bible, Lord, where we can glean little nuggets of treasure that you have set forth before us, Lord. Be with our study. Be with us as we answer these questions, Lord, and let us all honor and glorify your name. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jen. I tell you, it's always important to ask the Holy Spirit. It is. it is. And I need to ask the Holy Spirit where you get some of your Energizer Bunny juice. I mean, that is just, you're, you're just running on like fumes here. I love it. <laughs> it it's reading the Bible energizes me. Yes, I, give me that. Just, just put that through to the Zoom screen and give me that. It is. That does give us energy, shouldn't it? Thank you. Thank you so much. Boop, got it. All right. Let's begin with our questions. Okay. First question that I have. Uh, this is over the entire reading, which is a good one. Why were some of the kings successful, but others were not? I'm just going to give you the clean and simple truth. The successful kings were successful because they followed exactly what God had wanted them to do. They walked with God. They did everything right in the eyes of the Lord. And so we think of, I know we're going back, but we think of kings like David, even though he had that, um, he had his major sins and sins and so forth. They, God looked at his heart. And this is what the kings who were successful in Second Chronicles did. They followed God. That's why they were successful. Pretty simple stuff, but that is definitely what it, what it's about. It's going to be what it's about in our lives, but definitely for the kings of Israel. Now, here, here's, a, here, here's a great one. On the eighth day, they had a closing ceremony, for they had celebrated the dedication of the altar for seven days and the festival of shelter for seven days. The number seven is mentioned several times in the Bible. Does it have any special meaning? Yes. The number seven is a number that represents completeness, totality, perfection, um, completeness both physically and spiritually. And so, for example, we look at creation. 
creation was done in seven days. We look at Jacob and how he worked for Laban for seven years. We look at how God asks us to forgive our, our, those who have sinned against us 70 times seven. Laban is um, explains the year of the Jubilee. Um, and so seven, we look at seven, seven, the seven candles, um, the seven vials, the seven seals that are all found in Revelation. Seven is a number that represents completeness and totality, perfection. Oh, okay, so now we're going to move to the next question. This, this next question is about Second Chronicles 8, verse 11. Okay, and it says here, Solomon moved his wife, Pharaoh's daughter, from the city of David to a new palace he had built for her. He said, my wife must not live in King David's palace for the ark of the Lord has been there and it is holy ground. Mm -hmm. Why couldn't the king's wife be on holy ground? Plain and simple for the fact that she was not one in spirit um, with God as Solomon was. And so Solomon knew that he, or we all know that he had many wives and he had, this was one of the first wives that started off on his um, trajectory to marrying into different kingdoms. And although we know that a lot of his marriages were arranged so that he could have political, um, political gains, these were one of the things that led him off into spiritual disunion with God. And he knew that this was not God's plan for her anyway. So he was even, he even calls out in the, you just read, my wife must not live in King David's palace for the ark of the Lord has been there. It is holy. So he already knows that he's marrying a heathen. And so that's why he knows that she should not be in there. He already knows that he has gone against um, what God's plan for him in acquiring wives was. All right. You might have right. more. You, have, you might have more to add to that. You know, that, that, that's a tough lesson for us to learn, guys. Tough lesson for us to learn. So, so some of us not, might not want to hear that. We might want to think that we can bring all kinds of other people into our lives, into our marriages, and expect that things are going to turn out well. And I will tell you from the experiences in my own family, it's, it's a challenge. It creates huge spiritual challenges and uh, not God's plan for us to be uh, connected and married to people or of the world because that's our soulmate it tends to draw us away from God. So just, 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 just mm -hmm. wear that one guys, think about it and wrestle with it because it is a reoccurring theme throughout the old Testament. Okay guys. So and, and I think this is exactly where they would, where they would term it um, unequally yoked right that's correct okay so he, he, here's an interesting one this is from second chronicles 9 verse 22 so king solomon became richer and wiser than any other king on earth is mm -hmm. wealth a sign of god's blessing today today we would consider some would consider wealth um as a sign of god's blessing if you're doing well if if, if you have all this material stuff and money in the bank. But let's think about what wealth was considered back in Solomon's day. What did Solomon initially ask for from God? He asked for wisdom. And when he gained his wisdom and when he used his wisdom, kings and queens came from all over to 
to just want to sit in his presence, to want to present their problems to him and hear what he had to say. The Queen of Sheba sat with him and she gave him hard questions and he sat and answered them, answered them all, you know, without any problem. And so she gifted him, right? She gifted him with so many things. So every time everyone came to Solomon, they always gifted him with something. But actually, I believe Solomon's true wealth came from the wisdom that God had given him, right? And so when we think about today, we would think about, yes, um, all the material things, but we also have to ask ourselves, what do we consider wealth today? Um, people can be poor as poor can be, but they're wealthy in blessings because they are serving God and they are so full of spiritual blessings, friendship blessings um, that, that they have acquired. And people see this, the wealthy see the poor and they're like, why are you so happy? I have everything, you have nothing. Why are you so happy? And, and the poor say, you know, because we're walking with God. And, and so the question then goes, you know, is wealth a sign of blessings? Ah, yes and no, de de depending on how you look at it. Um, if you think that God is blessing you with wealth and you're using it for his good, then fantastic. But you can be as wealthy as Solomon was today and you can just be unhappy. So then are you blessed? You know, perhaps not. So, and in other terms too, I can think that wealth can also take you away from God. A monetary, financial, material wealth can also take you away. So it truly depends on what you consider your own wealth to be. I definitely uh, read a lot of that, Jen, but the Lord says, seek ye first. The kingdom. Of heaven. Okay, guys. And so if you're seeking first the kingdom of heaven, I believe we will be blessed. And there, there is... There is truth to that even within our own denomination, people who actually follow the, uh, the precepts in our denomination, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, incidentally, is actually one of the most upwardly mobile churches in the world. People come in relatively uneducated. They gain education because we have a strong focus on education and godliness and uh, find themselves being blessed as a result. And so it, it's okay not to feel guilty when the Lord is blessing you, because there are many times people feel guilty. Well, I'm so wealthy and there's so many poor people. Why is the Lord blessing us? But, but the Lord will bless people who make good decisions. Okay. Uh, the, the Lord will bless people who put him first. And uh, that doesn't mean that your generation might not be the one who will benefit, but your children will benefit. And so mm -hmm. it's important to, to make sure that you make good decisions now, because it's not just for you, but it's for your family and your children. And definitely in the Old Testament, we find that God's blessing is associated also with success, okay? We, we see it over and over again, uh, starting in Genesis with, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were blessed because of their relationship with God. And uh, we see it with, 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 with Solomon, we see it with King David, um, and we will con continue to see that even with the kings, different kings that were blessed over time, that it's also uh, our success also points to the blessings of God in our lives and gives us the opportunity to, um, to witness to what God has done for us. And I can say that because, um, because I'm not a wealthy man and I've committed my life to God's service, okay? Um, but, but, but I love what I do and, and the joy that I get from what I'm doing is you can't put a dollar amount 
on the sound of children's laughter, which is what I live for every day. So Rehoboam so wisely gave responsibility to his other sons and stationed some of them in fortified towns throughout the land of Judea and Benjamin. He provided them with generous provisions and found many wives for them. When should parents start giving responsibility to their children? From the very beginning, as soon as they can understand what responsibility is. Um, as soon as, you know, what's funny is when I was in college, that was 20 something years ago, I had already been washing my own clothes since I was 12 or 13. And we, when I got to college, a friend of mine, my, one of my roommates, we had a sink um, in the room and, and the laundry was closed because the college that I, that I went to, you could take your laundry and people will do your laundry for you. Um, I never did that, I still did my own but she needed some, some things washed. She needed some socks washed. So she went to the sink and this was well into our first, uh, first semester. I think it was six months in already. She went to the sink, filled it, put some soap in there. And then she stood there and she did this. Just kind of like dipping her sock in and out of the water. And I said, what are you doing? And she says, I'm washing clothes. Isn't this how you wash clothes? And I said, how have you been washing your clothes this whole time? And she goes, oh, the, the, the laundry staff washed my clothes for me. And so I gave her a good lesson in how to wash clothes. But And, and she goes, oh, my, my parents always did everything for me. And so this is a problem. You know, if we can, if we always um, do everything for our children and, and, and we allow them a video game, video game controller when they do not know how to even run a mop or a broom on the floor, we have gone another way south. So we should give them responsibility from the very beginning, as soon as they are able to understand what they are. Absolutely. And, you know, we've got to realize as parents, we're actually training our kids to leave the home one day. Mm -hmm. We want them to be living in your basement, which we don't have in Florida. But if you're living in your spare room when they're in their 30s, teach them how to do nothing. You'll be great. Um, what, one of the things that you teach your, the only thing you teach your children by doing everything for them is that you're better than they are. Okay. Oh. That's the only thing you teach them, okay? Uh, you start right away, as soon as they can. And let me tell you, when they're little, they want to help you. So take advantage of it. Say, this is how you wash a toilet. This is how you do a bathtub. This is how you put your toys away. Let's do it together and let's learn. Guys, it's never too soon. As soon as they're able, as Pastor Jen said, as soon as they're able. Second Chronicles 13, verse 14 through 15. When Judea realized that they were being attacked from the front and the rear, they cried out to the Lord for help. And then the priests blew their trumpets, and the men of Judea began to shout. And at the sound of their battle cry, God defeated Jeroboam and all Israel and routed them before Abijah and the army of Judah. It looks like God would always answer the Israelites' prayer when they pride cried out to him in biblical time. God does not always seem to grant our requests when we cry out to him. Why? Is it a lack of faith or has God become less responsive to our prayer? Hmm, I would have to kind of rephrase that question because it does say it looks like God was always after the Israelites. Um, he didn't always answer the Israelites. In fact, I remember the last time that we, that you and I presented 
um, Bible Unmasked, there was a war or two that the Israelites were defeated. And, and, and they did lose. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far to say as God always helped them out for a good part of the time he did. But when they really need some, when they really needed some lessons to learn, especially when they disobeyed him, he did not allow them to win any wars and he, he allowed them to be defeated. And he did allow them to see the consequences of what, of what they had experienced. Um, but referring to today, God does not always grant our requests when we cry out to him. He didn't back then either. Um, and is this because there's a lack of faith? Has God become less responsive to our prayers? No, it's not because we do not have a lack of faith or he is less responsive. I believe it all comes forth from the decisions that we had made previously and how it also, how his answer to our prayers will also affect um what he has for our future. And so sometimes he says no, sometimes he says yes. And we can have a whole ton of faith that God is going to heal our parent from cancer and then the parent dies. So what, what happens then? Did we not have enough faith? No, that was sin. Sin is in this world and sin is going to kill us and cancer is one way to do so. Um, so that's just, that, that, that's just uh, one of my examples. Um, God doesn't become less responsive to our prayers Prayer is there, and this whole thing of asking God and receiving an answer from him, this is all about the relationship that we have with God. How much are we willing to just walk with him regardless of the answers that he gives us? Good answer. I appreciate that. I had that same question when my father died on the operating table while he was getting a, 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 a liver transplant, and uh, I had to wrestle with that one. It's a real question because I had full faith, full faith he was going to make it through that operation fine. Um, we've got to recognize, and sometimes you need to trust God's answer, sometimes no. And sometimes there's something mm -hmm. to learn. And if my father needed to die on that operating table so that he would end up in the kingdom of heaven, because if God had saved him, he may not have, then I've got to accept that because we're thinking about an end game that goes beyond this life. And I exactly. think sometimes we, we, we lose that perspective. We've got to understand God doesn't see time the way we do. Time is a great continuum between the beginning and the end, and God sees it all the way through, and we've got to trust him. We've got to trust him. Sometimes our prayers aren't answered the way we want them to be, but he always has an answer. So thank you for that. Exactly. Okay. Second Chronicles 14, and we're buzzing right through here, guys. 14, 12 through 13. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians in the presence of Asa and the army of Judah, and the enemy fled, and Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gerar, and many Ethiopians fell, and they were unable to rally. They were destroyed by the Lord and his army, and the army of Judah carried off a, black, a great amount of plunder. Can God help our country defeat the enemy in times of war today? Is he still fighting for us in our contemporary wars? Oh, is that a great question? We could spend hours on that one. I could get myself in so much trouble talking about that. But I'll let you answer that one, Jen. Just <laughs> 
that I don't get tossed out of the. Oh Africa. my God! You got it. And ask me after that. I was go back to South Africa because that's what will happen if oh, I. My goodness! I was. You're gonna let me answer that. I was gonna throw that question back to you, but I'll, I'll give you. I'll, I'll be willing to give my ten cents worth. Okay, I'll, I'll give. I'll give my two cents worth. Um, yes, God can help our country defeat the enemy today. However, is it in His purpose? Um, will will His help in in defeat um, do what? his final outcome is going to be. So I believe God's strategies also work in line. I mean, we can be defeated. We can certainly be defeated by um, countries who are waging war against us. And that could also fall in line with God's plan for our country. And I know I'm going to get in trouble for saying that. Sorry. Um, But I'm just, you know, but I'm just saying um, it it can go either way. It's going to go either way according to God's glory and how he sees fit. Is he still fighting for us in our contemporary wars? I believe so. But again, um, this is, this goes along with how he sees fit for our future to be in line with his coming. That's my two cents. Try not to get myself too much in trouble, but I'll throw that back at you, Principal Rob. That's a good one. We, we look at our country, the United States, and I love this country. My problem is I've actually studied its history, and I've gone beyond what's in the history books. And not every battle and every every military operation we've gone into, we did we take God's word into consideration. Every war and every battle we've gone into mm-hmm. has not been for righteous purposes. Some have, some haven't. Right. Um, and and so listen, listen, guys. God can only bless America if America, the people, not the government, turn to God. Yes. We're not seeing that, friends. God. Nope. Not God does cannot fight battles for people who aren't committed to Him. Yes. In particular battle that we're seeing here, Israel was committed to God. They asked Him for help to protect His nation, and we right now are on the verge of becoming what is, what is called a post-Christian country. Canada already is. Western Europe already is post-Christian, um, and and so and so is Australia and many other countries aren't Christian at all. Okay, so when we ask God to help our nation as a post-Christian nation that does not bend the knee to the Lord anymore, mm-hmm. the, the Lord will help us win battles if it is according to. Don't expect anything to go well. But 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 as far as expecting that if that's going to continue forever and ever as we are systematically turning our backs on God and his principles? Unlikely. And, and I, I don't want to say that to be horrible. I love the United States, and I feel privileged to be here. And when my family immigrated to the United States in 1979 because we had to escape the apartheid regime in South Africa, we were so appreciative of being able to be here. But friends, as we continue to turn our, our, our back on the Lord as a nation, we are are stepping away by our choice, not by God, from him. So just keep that in mind, friends. We're living in the end of times. And in the end, we don't look forward to the success of our nation, but the second coming of Jesus Christ. Second Chronicles 15, verse 13. They agreed that anyone who refused to seek the Lord, the God of Israel, would be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. Today, how should we treat those who refuse to seek the Lord? We need to remember, we need to remember that the things that happened back in Bible times happened according to how they governed 
and how and how they were taught by their spiritual leaders um, by God through impressed by God on, on how to treat people today. If you were to take that same question and we're applying it today, it's a whole it's a whole different story. And so I'm going to take that question point blank. How should we treat those who refuse to seek the Lord? We treat them with the same respect and dignity that we treat every single person. Because if we were to judge and, and treat them wrong, who are we to say that we might be the ones who were to keep them out of the kingdom of heaven, who were to be their stumbling block, who were to keep them from knowing God? If we continue, no matter what, um, how much they refuse God's advances and how, how much they refuse to know up until the end, we treat them with the same dignity that God has called us to, to love our neighbor as ourselves and to treat them well. You know, one thing to realize now that after Christ's death, the realities changed mm-hmm. on the planet. And we, all those who accept Jesus Christ become adopted into the family of Abraham and we'll discuss this as we move ahead. Start looking forward to when we start getting, particularly in the book of Romans and First and Second Corinthians. Keep on reading. These questions are answered. That, that, that's why it's cool to read the Bible and start looking for, the, looking for the answers to these things. Okay. And one of the things I like to point out to people as I preach when we talk about people, all kinds of people who are struggling with what they believe right now. No one has ever been hated into the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Just, just think about that for a while, okay? It's our job to invite people to the kingdom of heaven, okay? And there are people out there that are struggling who have dealt with stuff that we haven't. They didn't grow up with Christian parents and Christian homes or may have had a bad experience at the hands of a Christian. I remember in, when I was in a, in a, in a Walmart in, in, in Nashville, Tennessee, and there was a, a gay couple walking through that Walmart and a group of evangelical boys were walking behind them telling them that they were going to go to hell. Well. Okay, and they were following and say, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, just pointing at them the whole time these, the, the, these guys were walking through. And, and, and I finally stopped and I said, guys, no, right now you may be wrong about which one of you guys is going to go to hell. Exactly. Acting. Okay, no one is hated into the kingdom of heaven. But if we show people the love of God and he is lifted up, all people will be drawn to him. And it's our job in this day and age to draw people to Jesus Christ. And so things have changed Amen. over time, guys. And so let's let's not be condemning. Let them see Christ in us so that they want what we have so that there'll be more souls in the kingdom of heaven. Second Chronicles 13, verse 3. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father's early years and did not worship the image of Baal. Why did most of the kings follow God in their early years, but later turned away from him? It was 2 Chronicles 17, 3. Um, let's see. In their early years, I, I believe because they did, they, they did walk in their father's footsteps. But let me just say it plain and simple. Life and also the people that they were associated with, um, Many of these kings turn toward other gods, and and you will read them. Those who put up Asherah poles and they they worship them, and so they were tempted by other things, by other people, to turn away from God. And and they saw on the other end, they, they believed that if they worship this one, they will get it. And in some ways, I forget which king it was. He did worship. He did worship a god, and he did reap 
Um, he reaped some good things, but in the end, um, when he went back to do so, it didn't turn out right. And so I believe a lot of these kings start off well, but temptation, sin, um, those who lead them into, into worshiping other gods, led them away, led them away from, from God. I think that's right. And, you know, something else that we've got to realize here, so many of us, especially the young people over here, who think it becomes easier to follow God the older you get. Yeah. Not necessarily true, okay? Yeah. There are things that happen in your life, distractions that come along, uh, um, you know, responsibilities that come along that can lead you astray. The, these kings, kings experience the immediate blessings of God, and one of the blessings is finances. It's hard for wealthy people to stay close to God, guys. They've got temptations mm -hmm. we can't imagine. They, they've got money to get into trouble. I'm so poor. i got no money. It costs <laughs> money to get into trouble, yo. I mean, it does. you got no money. You can't do nothing. You're sitting at home watching Netflix. The worst thing is to choose a bad movie on Netflix. That's about the worst thing I can afford to do. But if you got a lot of money, you could choose all kinds of bad stuff to do. So you've got to realize these guys started young. They started poor. They, they're, they're trying to put it together. They feel overwhelmed. They've got to walk with God. They get a little bit of experience. They think they can walk by themselves. They get more money. They can do more stuff. You can get in trouble. So we've got to realize, guys, Guys, that we need to maintain that focus. That's why we're reading through the Bible, guys. That's why we're learning from these people. We've got to learn to stay focused on what God wants for us. Because as we get older, you know, you, you get older and, and your wife starts getting baggy and you start looking around at the girls at the gym. Let me tell you, it happens, guys. It happens. you got to make sure that you stay close to God. It doesn't get easier the older you look at your mom and dad. Oh, I wish I had my mom and dad. It'd be so much easier to be, be, be good. Not necessarily. Okay? So we've got to understand that we've got to stay focused and remember the focus of our childhood when we had that simple faith. That simple faith in God. You saw it with David. When he faced Goliath, he was fearless. And then he saw Bathsheba taking a bath, bearing all, whew, off the bandwagon. Okay. <laughs> you gotta understand, guys, that you get you get tempted and you gotta stay on and you gotta stay focused. It's important. And so that's what's going on. And and I hate to, to tell the truth, but sometimes if you varnish over the stuff, you're not ready. Okay, guys? So 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 stay focused. Stay focused as you get older. Don't allow mercy to become a, a stumbling block for you as you move along. Mercy. I just preached on this today at a different church, and I was talking about wealth and how and how for I want to say pretty much all of our married life, once the children came into the picture, okay, which was at the very beginning of our married life, we've been pretty much dirt poor. <laughs> since then you know wavering between the poverty the poverty line brackets but that's the thing this is what has kept us humble and kept us close to god because we had nothing else so we have nothing else so we're always seeking god um for provision for mercy for for pr providence for to guide us into what situation we're going to next and so this is why and i shared this today this is why we have that famous verse in ecclesiastes remember thy creator in the days of thy youth so that when your day when you grow old and the days come and you don't like them you can look back and remember the god who sustained you back then so this is why now especially for young people now is the time not when you're older to to say now is not the time to let's just party 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 and then and then later on 
I'll get close to God, as Prince Abraham was saying, now is the time to cement yourself into the ways of the Lord, into knowing the things that he, and standing true for the things that he's calling you to stand true to and knowing his love and his mercy, because you're going to need that. When you start, when you start a family, when you start not having money, you're going to need that extra faith that you have already built up in God. Okay, this is this is a great one here. Second Chronicles 20, verse 22. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the army of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. What role should music, praise, and worship play in a Christian's life? It should play a very prominent role, and praise and worship play a prominent role in a Christian's life. This is the stuff that keeps you motivated, keeps you reminded about what God is doing for you. I remember, and I told this story to the kids um, who are, I'm chaplain for the fourth grade, and there was a recent story, maybe about a couple, two or three years old, where this child was playing in his front yard, and then a car pulled up and he was abducted. Um, and, and, and and this kid, you know, of course, he's, he's in this car, the car, the driver won't unlock the door, and this driver starts driving, and this kid is scared, of course, but this kid starts singing um, a Hezekiah Walker song. Um, I think it was every praise, every praise is to our God. And he just kept on repeating this song over and over because this was the song that was ingrained into him, this song of praise, this song that was taught to him to always sing, even, even through fear. And so as he's singing this, and I think he was in the car with the abductor for about two to three hours, but the abductor kept asking him, can you stop singing that song? And, and, and the kid kept on singing it. And it not only did it irritate, his abductor, but it frustrated him so much and it possibly put the fear of God into him. He let the kid go because he couldn't handle, he could not handle the praise that was coming from the back seat. And when this kid was let go and, you know, the news heard about it and so forth. And later on, he was at this church and, and given his testimony, who would come out to greet him, but Hezekiah Walker, because it may be because he was so amazed that it had made such a profound impact on this young child's life to help him out during his, his, his time of trouble. So praise, worship, it completely dis, disorients the devil. I mean, you think of Paul and Silas and how they were praising. You, you think of um, when they crossed the Red Sea and, and, and the whole group started praising. I mean, praise brings the devil to his knees. Worship brings the devil to his knees. And when the armies of God come in and fight alongside that, everything's done. You nailed it, man. And I will tell you, even now, when, I, when I'm about to get up and preach in a church and the praise team will sing such a powerful song that I am moved to tears before I even get up. You can feel the praise music allow the Holy Spirit to enter people's hearts before the speaker starts to speak and prepares us for the word of God. There is power in music. Power. Mm -hmm. You also have to realize that the devil uses music in exactly the opposite way. So yes, it does. Your music carefully, because as much as praise music will bring the power of God into you, there is also music that is the exact opposite that will allow demonic forces into your life. And so be cautious about the music you listen to. And yes. make sure that you focus on the music that is going to fill you with the power of God, because music does make a powerful difference. Okay. Second Chronicles 21, verse 14 and 15. 
So now the Lord is about to strike you, your people, your children, your wives, and all that is yours with a heavy blow. You yourself will suffer a severe intestinal disease that will get worse each day until your bowels come out. Are some of our diseases a result of God's punishment? Uh, yes. I mean, <laughs> if we read it right there, yes. Um, if we are not following what he is calling us to do, and he's in this particular verse, he's saying this is what's going to happen to you then yes, some of these diseases are a result of God's punishment. I especially think of Miriam when she spoke against, uh, when she spoke against her brothers and she turned white and she got leprosy all, of, all over her body. That was a punishment for what she wasn't supposed to do. Um, so there are specific times that diseases can result in God's punishment. And the rest of the time, I believe the disease are a result of not only sin, but the way we take care of our bodies. You know, we, we be cautious. Um... I know that there are some people who have said that modern diseases are God's punishment on certain populations. And we need to be careful of that um, because most modern diseases that have come across people are our lifestyle, and we bring most of those issues on ourselves. It's not God. We make mm -hmm. bad decisions. If you're not making good decisions with regard to nutrition, that's not God punishing you. That's you punishing yourself. <laughs> the wrong kinds of food. If you pick up a disease because you are not making wise choices about who you're becoming intimate with, you brought that disease on yourself. That is not a punishment from God. But in the Old Testament, there were definite times where the people chose to interpret disease as punishment. And in this particular situation, and you'll also read further on when we talk about Herod, um, uh, Antipodus, who was eaten by worms in front of everybody because he refused to, to accept uh, the, the, the power, of, uh, accepted praise that he was a god rather than a man. And so, you know, the, there are things that have happened, either, either New or Old Testament, that have been interpreted as God's wrath on people. But let's be careful in our interpretation of what happens to people today. And we've got to recognize that there are certain things that we do that some people have chosen to say, well, God did that to them. No. They made decisions. You're so right. I was referring to that particular <laughs> that particular verse yeah. um, in the Old Testament. But yes, you're right. Because I was thinking about the other kings that came after who the one that had the, uh, the, the king that had his feet um, eaten up yep. and, and there was another one in Chronicles that yeah. things happened to them because of the things that they were doing that were evil and so I was particularly focused on that but thank you Principal Rob yes you are right many of our diseases come about because of our own choice that's right Second Chronicles 22 verse 12 Joash made and I love the story of Joash by the way if you missed that one I love that story anyway okay Joash remained hidden in the temple for six years while Athelia ruled over the land. Athelia was the first queen of Judah. So far as we've seen, that woman was treated, uh, as we've seen, that women were treated as men's properties in biblical times. Was there a cultural shift towards women? This one I was struggling over. Because I was looking at all of the queens that were named um, in Second Chronicles, and, and, and those who were named were also, it was pointed out, you know, 
Um, her son, for, for, for Athelia, we, we see that, you know, she she was an evil, um, evil queen. And, but then you have others who they mention whose sons did well. And it always says, this was the mother and this king did well in the sight of the Lord. So I'm not entirely sure this is pointing toward a culture. Uh, this particularly in Second Chronicles is pointing toward a cultural shift. Perhaps I'm seeing more of a connection between the mothers who taught their sons well and, and, who, and who taught them how to walk in the sight of the Lord versus the mothers who taught their sons evil and taught them the opposite. That's my thought on it. I'm not entirely sure there's a cultural shift. What do you think? Cultural shift here. There are two where women were in, 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 without their husbands being mentioned, were in positions to rule Israel. One of them was Deborah in Judges. She was one of the judges of Israel. Okay, and I think that was part of one of the discussions we we, we covered, Jen. And now, now we've got mm -hmm. this one where she was she, she was the queen, the queen. No king is mentioned. Wicked queen right here, okay? But we don't see a cultural shift just because as we continue to read through through chronicles and start moving forward, we don't see a lot of, of queens as the solo without a king rulers of, of Israel or any of the neighboring kingdoms. So this is a bit of an aberration. And um, it doesn't mean that all women rulers were bad because we had Deborah that was obviously quite exceptional. And then we have this one, not exceptional. Not, <laughs> not, not exceptional, okay? So um, let's see here. Joash was seven years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem for 40 years. His mother was Zabiah from Beersheba. Joash was seven when he became king. At what age can children be fit for ministry? Good one. This is found, um, this particular verse is found in 2 Chronicles 24, 1. So the first verse that comes to my mind in this is, and the little child shall lead them. Um, I think any child, no matter how young, depending on how well they're taught and how well they, they, they have depending on the examples that they have um, in their elders, any child can minister for God. And uh, watch my words here. Any child can minister for God. We think of the slave girl of, of Naaman, and she was a minister for God. All, all that she had, had took with her in her teachings, she brought that and helped Naaman guide him to where he would find healing. Um, we think about the little boy in the in one of the feedings where where Jesus fed the multitude, that little boy who who stepped up and shared his loaves and his fishes, that little boy is fit for ministry because he chose to be the only one to to share in the midst of a multitude. So, I believe any age can a child can minister. But when we're talking about professional ministry and people who are looking for degrees that, that that comes a little bit that's the iffy stage um if they're looking to be pastors or chaplains or whatnot but um, any child can can show the love of god and minister to people in ways that adults can't because of the child's simplicity and how they view the world and how they really feel the love of jesus 
Yeah, I agree. And you know, when when we go back um, to uh, f- to the books of Samuel, which is back a little bit, when Samuel got his first visions from God, he was just a little guy. Okay, and and after he got those visions, the Bible says specifically that he was he was considered at that point the prophet of Israel at a very young age. It doesn't say specifically, but I'm thinking he was younger than ten years old. So mm-hmm. once the Lord chooses chooses somebody. As he chooses you. Recognize that that person's chosen, okay? And, and and one of the things I love to do, especially as a high school principal, is I would teach all my students to preach. It was something that they had to be prepared for before they left my schools, okay? And um, and they had to preach in a church. I didn't make it easy for them. If they wanted to get an A in my Bible class, they had to preach in a church, in a legit church. And I had children sometimes who weren't Seventh-day Adventists. So I'd go to the Baptist church. They'd preach in the Baptist church or a Methodist church or, or you know. Um, and and it's it's interesting that a sermon always seems more powerful if it's well yes. prepared and presented by a child than, what, than when it's prepared by somebody older. So I believe strongly that at whatever point a child is ready, and not all child's are de- children are developmentally ready at the same time, that the Lord will use them. And so let's not hold our children back to any specific age. I've, I've heard some okay. six, seven, eight-year-olds pray prayers that will literally Astounding. change the world, okay? Yes. So, so, so let's, not, let's not hold our children back. If they show an interest and a desire, let's fan that flame. And exactly. I mean, we think, of, we think of David, you know, the prophet had come to, to Jesse's house to anoint um, all these good-looking older brothers who are well in stature, and they come to the end, and, and the prophet is still like, "Okay, God, you're not, you're not impressing me here. Am I missing somebody?" And it turns out to be David, little David, who is the shepherd boy, but he was already pre-anointed, pre-chosen by God. I mean, how can we fight that? You know? Exactly. Love it. Okay, Second Chronicles twenty-four nine. This is our last question for the day, guys. When the proclamation was sent throughout Judah and Jerusalem, telling the people to bring to the Lord the tax that Moses, the servant of God, had required for the Israelites in the wilderness, was this tax in addition to tithes and offerings? Is it similar to the taxes we pay today? There was a... Rob, in the event that you would know the better answer. There, There was a separate temple tax. That was above tithes and tithes and offerings. Okay, and what's interesting, we we will see this in the book of Matthew when we get there, because Jesus was actually confronted by some of the Pharisees when it was asked, "Does Jesus pay the tax like everybody else?" And ah. Peter, of course, says, "Yes, of course, my Lord and Savior pays the taxes." And then he went to Jesus and said, "By the way, Jesus, do we pay the tax?" And Jesus says, "No, we didn't." And so, but go fishing. <laughs> His mouth, there'll be a tax, and they'll pay the tax for you and me. So this, this is this is not just tithes and offerings, okay? So this, what, what this tax is, kind, this was a special tax that went to help pay for the maintenance and upkeep of the of the temple 
and the worship services. It was something that everybody was expected to pay. It was collected by your local municipality, but this wasn't a tax that went to the king. This was a, so, so is, is it different from taxes we pay today? Yes, because the taxes we pay today go to pay our property taxes, help pay for public schools. Uh, our, our other taxes go help to pay for the military and then and, and the federal taxes and the stuff, that, and then our state taxes, which we don't pay in Florida, but get connect, collected from tourists. That money goes to help pay for the roads and the electricity and the police and all those things. And okay, so that's not what this tax, this was a specifically a temple tax. We're talking about a different economic system than, than we're living in now. We're looking at a different political system we're, we're living in now. This is the country of God. Uh, this is the God's nation. And the people paid a separate tax to help for the maintenance of the temple and, and, the, and its operation over and above their regular tithes and their regular offerings. And so that, that was something everybody was expected to pay. And uh, so, so that's what we're talking about here. So yes, it was different. It was over and above, and it was something people were expected to pay and contribute in. Excellent. All right. Pastor Jen, our time is up. Next time, okay, next time we're going to be going over Second Chronicles 32, which is from where we are, all the way to Nehemiah 7, okay? That's a lot of stuff. And so I'm going to give you just a really quick overview. Okay, so when we finish up, you know, First and Second Chronicles, we pretty much follow the history of Israel all the way through to the Babylonian captivity. That's, that's what we're looking at here, okay? There are several kings in between and several wonderful victories. Read them because there's some very, very unique victories that, that, that the Israelite kings uh, had. But finally, Israel loses out to the Babylonians. And the Bible will, will says very specifically that the Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar the victory over Israel, okay? Ultimately, friends, if we don't walk and do what God asks us to do, God has to hand us over, okay? So just realize that. That's a tough one. Then you're going to read the whole book of Ezra, okay? And Ezra now is the good news because the book of Ezra covers the children of Israel under the Persians coming back home to rebuild Jerusalem, okay? So this is an interesting thing. And, and if anybody is ever going to be involved in a building project sometime, good book to read because everything doesn't go well and there are all kinds of troubles and, and, and struggles. And, 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 you know, to start building, get, getting Jerusalem built and put back together and the walls built up and the temple built and all those kinds of things. Okay, so you're going to get that in Ezra and Nehemiah, okay? Because in the book of Ezra, they don't get the job done. And then Nehemiah has to come in and say, guys, we've got to get back to work. Okay, so, so that's what you read. So interesting history, guys. Don't, don't be afraid to pick up the Bible and read this thing. Take your time and work through it. And, and ask yourself, what is God telling me in this? And what, what do I need to do different? And, and how, how, how can we look forward to the day when we get to go back to the promised land and rebuild? Because you've got to realize that this also shows God's plan for the children of Israel to return home and rebuild Judah, because remember we learned that, that, that Samaria gets completely wiped out. Those are the northern ten tribes. It's just the two southern tribes, okay, 
and, and some of the Levites, they're the only ones that survive because it's important that they return back to Jerusalem because when we, we've covered, when we talk about Isaiah and the prophecies, okay, this is where Jesus Christ had to be born. So the Jewish civilization had to be reestablished after the fall of Babylon. Mm. So we've got to understand that, okay? So um, interesting stuff, interesting reading, fun stuff to go through. I think you're going to enjoy the, the that reading. And at this point, I'm going to thank Pastor Jen for being my partner on this one again. Jen, I always have a good time digging through the Bible with you. Yes, we do. And uh, I want to thank the viewers who are, were brave enough to come in and check us out. And guys, if we said anything that scared you, give us a call. Okay, Not intentionally scary, just scary unintentionally. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just naturally scary. So, so let's, let's just check on that stuff and, and continue to move forward. And with your permission, I'm going to end with prayer. Yes, please do. All right, Father in heaven, thank you so much for your love and care for us today, for your patience with us, for the, the, the encouragement we get from reading these books that encourage us to do things your way so that we can be blessed, Lord. May we commit our lives to you today to do it your way to the best of our ability and allow your grace to make up the difference as we head into another week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily. Join us every Sunday at 7.30 p.m. for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with the Bible Unmasked.